Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely. With me, as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. Uh, today, what we have what I'm calling our premium pricing episode. First, we're going to start with uh, Intel paying a big premium for a stake in Cloudera. And then we'll look at Nintendo shipping consoles by plane to meet unexpectedly high demand and paying a big premium to ship by plane. Uh, so, Chris, let's start with Intel. Uh, in 2014, Intel agreed to purchase a 17% stake in uh, big data software startup Cloudera. And on Friday, Cloudera actually IPO'd. Uh, but going back to the 2014 investment, uh, Intel at the time, they paid more than double the price for uh, Cloudera stock that uh, VC investors had paid just two weeks earlier. So they valued Cloudera at about $4.1 billion, and the VC investors had been va- valuing the investment at $1.8 billion when they were making their investment. Uh, and the investment, uh, it's actually kind of prove- proven foolish. Uh, the new... their Intel's $742 million investment at the time, it's now valued at $434 million after Cloudera's IPO. So, you know, three years and to take a 40% or so write-off on that investment over three years with the S&P racing. I mean, the return on investment is just awful. Uh, but so while it appears a pretty obvious misstep, Cloudera and Intel are actually arguing that it was a strategic investment that made sense. Uh, so, you know, they're saying, hey, Intel got their chips to work with a lot of Cloudera software. Intel got a seat on the board and they got to influence where Cloudera's uh, software was, how it was developing. Uh, they're arguing, oh, it was only a small bet for Intel. It was only 5% of their cash. So, you, you know, strategic investment for a small bet. Uh, so there are a lot of things I want to talk about here, but what do you think about this big premium that Intel paid? You know, do you agree with them that, hey, the strategic rationale offsets the fact that you've just lost $300 million plus million? I think it was a mistake in the particulars and in the general. I think that uh, it shows the uh, problem of having so much cash available to be able to burn through hundreds of millions of dollars and say it's only 5% and be less thoughtful about it than if it was an agency relationship with a smaller, a more manageable amount of money. I think that next time I lose $300 million, I will call it strategic as well. <laughs> yeah. That word kind of contains multitudes. Um, for a little bit of a silly analogy, Um, I have been told uh, from friends that started out in modeling that one of the first things you always want to do is at the beginning of the relationship, always make sure you're getting paid, not paying. Uh, And it's not simply that uh, it's nicer to get paid money than to pay. But when you're kind of putting all this money out there for what is essentially a service provider, it's a hugely bad data point. Mm -hmm. I mean, say Intel just showed up and said, we are the best partners. We should work together. We have a better strategic relationship together than anybody else would and you can use plain English to explain it and Cloudera said no pay me hundreds of millions of dollars in this huge premium otherwise they should have that should give them huge pause yeah it was a terrible idea if it was a good idea people could want to do business with you if it's a bad idea you should absorb that and shouldn't use your brute strength in your balance sheet to overturn what the market is telling you is about idea. No, I, I think it's a great point. And, you know, it, it reminds me a little bit our last podcast on Oprah, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about how Oprah made this $100 million investment, but her $100 million investment, you know, it was worth more than another, per, or sorry, it was a $45 million investment, but it was worth more than someone else's because you brought the Oprah brand. She became your spokeswoman and it's paid off beautifully for her. You know, her investment's now worth about $200 million if I, the number, if I remember correctly, yep. but it played off beautifully for Weight Watchers as well, right? This stock 
stock prices about tripled since then. And in Intel's case, if Intel was really bringing this much strategic value to Cloudera, they should have been able to invest at the same level that the VC people were doing, or probably a discount. You know, a lot of times you'll see uh, a Google or a Nike or someone will get to invest at a discount because people, uh, these companies know, hey, if I get this big strategic investor, I'll be able to push it through their distribution. And like a lot of channels that weren't open to me before will be open. In this case, Intel, I mean, they, they got played for a fool, I, I kind of think. Having that much money is, uh, I was also thinking as another silly analogy, is like in Shark's Tank. You know, they say like, we, we will make it worth it, uh, but try to have a down round so you can uh, then enunciate uh, your value proposition. They could have here, they didn't. They threw a lot of money at it and threw a lot of money away. You know, and then one thing I kind of want to talk to you about, because look, we are investors and much of what we do is talking about over or undervaluation. But mm-hmm. I, I thought the article had a really nice point, And this is something you see a lot of people in the industry say, uh, invest or employees who got their stock options priced after Intel made that big investment at a big premium, their stock options got priced at a big premium mm-hmm. to where stock options had been previously. And now all those investors have stock options that are underwater. And that creates a lot of issues, right? Do you go back and reprice those employees' options? If you don't, like those employees might not be loyal because they're so far underwater, they they can just pick up and leave. And it really shows you that this valuation things, a lot of times it seems like, oh, it's just throwing money around. It's just throwing games. But it it really does, getting valuation correctly uh, really does have an impact on the underlying business. And you hear that a lot from tech companies. You know, when Twitter was valued at $40 billion, they gave out a lot of stock options. And that has an issue when Twitter's six months later valued at $20 billion and Google's poaching all their employees because all those employees are underwater. From an investor perspective, it's easier to get driven batty by these repricing options. Mm-hmm. But from a supply and demand perspective and talent, the best talent, A-level talent, yeah. you kind of have to go to them. There's nothing else you can do. It's an efficient market for talent. I'm with you. And, it, you know, it, it's just, it's a very difficult game, but it show, it really does show that valuation is important and getting it right has a difference. Because at the same time, if these stock options had been priced massively underwater, like the employees might not be incentivized to work as hard, or they might kind of want to stay there even when it makes sense for both firms for them to depart because those options are so valuable. So it, it really does have a uh, striking impact. As much as I like to like to think in absolute terms, uh, the best kind of compensation is the least distracting compensation. And given that these are going to be highly intelligent and highly connected people, sometimes in small geographies, they're going to know what their comparable uh, talent is getting paid. They're going to know in comparative terms about what it should be. And it's going to distract or bother them if they're being massively over yeah. or underpaid. And what do you think? I, I just wonder, the VC firms who, let's say, December 1, they sign a contract that values this firm at $1.8 billion. And then two weeks later, they get a call from the company like, hey, uh, Intel's making an investment, 20% of us. They're going to value us at $4.1 billion. Like, Can you imagine the, VC, the party the VC firms would be throwing to have their investment more than double in two weeks. I mean, what what a crazy what a crazy move. A- any last thoughts here? Or... Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So let's move on to Nintendo. So Nintendo they released their latest console, the Switch, and it is proving far too popular. So they released it two months ago. Uh, March third was the official release date, and it is still out of stock all throughout Europe and the U.S. Uh, and Nintendo it has now resorted to using aircrafts to fly the Switches 
directly from uh, Chinese the ch- places where they're getting manufactured in China to U.S. and European uh, warehouses, to retail stores, all that sort of stuff. And that is a very expensive form of shipping. You pay about $45 per unit to airship it like that against a suggested retail price for the Switch of $300. And remember, that's got to include the retailer's cut of the, cut of the profit too, right? Nintendo is giving away a ton of their profit to airship these things. Uh, so it, there's a lot of things I want to talk about here, but Chris, I'll turn it over to you. What do you think about the out-of-stock situation for Nintendo? It's interesting. It's like Elsa was for Disney. You know, it seems like I think it was an authentic uh, um, a misjudgment in terms of the demand. I think it's real, but it does have the consequence of creating a very buzzy situation for the company. Yeah, it, uh, and- the- that, that kind of can excite people who get excited by it. No, that's a great point, and it's something I didn't think about. But, you know, you remember when Snap first released their Snap glasses, they purposely under-manufactured them to create the buzzy, like, oh, you got those? How cool are those? But in this case, with the, I think the difference is a little bit... With Snap Glasses, that's a one-time sale, and it's kind of driving brand awareness for the Snap overall. Whereas with Nintendo, a Switch, a gaming console, you're supposed to sell the first thing at basically break-even, and then you make your profits by charging people by charging the uh, companies that make games for it money over time. So for every Switch that you don't have, the MPV of that Switch goes down if you don't sell it, right? So I, I think there's a difference, but it is interesting you went there. I think that's a really interesting thought that you could drive a little bit of buzziness. And I know I've heard gamers say, like, this is the most in-demand item. So that does make sense to me. I also think that, um, first of all, I don't have a huge uh, premium for first-mover advantage on these kind of things. So just the delay doesn't sound that consequential to me. But for the customer relationship, it really might be. Uh, You know, I think that if you look at how pricing tends to work, um, two counterexamples from just marginal supply and marginal demand are when there's some big uh, disruption on the demand or supply side that my reaction would be just keep the pricing so that it's at a clearing price. Yeah. Um, um, I'm very comfortable with the idea in a hurricane of spending $1,000 per board of plywood. Mm-hmm. If that's what it's worth to me, I, I, I don't... I've never seen what the problem is, but uh, people are more put off by that than I am. So in a hurricane, I can understand because then you're arguing people's safety comes out to how much money they have, right? Mm -hmm. So the the richest people can actually protect their safety over people who might not have much money in an emergency situation. So I can kind of see how that can be an issue. But this is is a gaming console, right? Like, why can't Nintendo go and say, oh, we're selling them for 300 right now? Like, on on, – I did some – I was just Googling around, and it looks like the secondary market is kind of balanced out between 450 and 500 Why can't they just say, hey, we're going to charge a $100 premium to cover direct shipping these out or something? It seems that they're losing some efficiency there by not scaling the price. I, I'd be very interested why they can't do that and why they aren't responding with that. Yeah, you think you'd, you'd spike the price. You'd have some, I mean, heck, you could have some fly first class for all. <laughs> some customers probably care. Um, and then... Uh, could uh, have their rest put on a boat. Yeah, flying them out does seem pretty unusual, though. Gosh. Yeah, and, and then I, I'm very interested. You know, the Switch, it's uh, it's it's had huge demand. Mm-hmm. And I, I think PlayStation and Xbox are both coming out with new consoles in the next year or two as well. And I'm just interested, like, these are still really big investments, right? MSRP of the Switch is $300, and they're going for 450 Like, it's surprising to me these are still 
that popular. I think they said they're going to sell 10. Their, their initial projections were 10 million switches, and it's looking like it's going to be 14 million now in their first year. I'm surprised these are so popular when you know we do have we have smartphones, right? Mm-hmm. Like smartphones are portable gaming consoles. Like it just surprises me that these things are still that big of a deal. You know, so, so much is more software based that I think it can get you a little lazy on kind of supply chain management and getting it to the customers in the right place. I, I have speaking with a lot of. Um, uh, manufacturers recently uh, uh, hear more and more about closer to their end use market than China. The difference, you know, say in uh, manufacturing costs in parts of Mexico to China, it's not that different mm-hmm. in labor costs. And you just do have low ish labor costs, but as it's been rising quite a bit in China over the last five years, that that, 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 that labor cost differential is pretty small relative to the problems just getting into market. I've actually seen a lot of companies. I think what you're kind of talking about is, if I can put a word into your mouth, anti-fragility, where if you're using a supply chain in China, like one small thing or a little bit of over-demand, it's difficult to adjust to that because you do need to ship it over here and that shipping takes a while. And if you want to express ship, it costs a lot more than if you're in Mexico or something. I have seen a lot of companies starting to say things or you're seeing a lot of companies in-source back to the U.S. Um, customer service roles that had been outsourced because they're saying, hey, you know, it costs a little more to have it here, but it results in a better experience. And when you kind of do the dollars and cents, the customer lifetime value by having our things in-source here and having better customer service here, it actually results in an increase in long-term profits, even though our short-term profits are kind of hit by that. So it is interesting to see things start to revert to maybe pay a little premium for the Mexico versus China or pay a little premium for the U.S., we had one little operating business that had some manufacturing in the U.S. and some manufacturing later in China. In China, the prices nominally, it sounds to be eye-poppingly cheap, but it's less so unless you have a huge order that uh, after everything is all said and done, you can have bigger problems with inventory mm-hmm. and some substantial number that you have to reject to stay on top of quality control. Mm-hmm. And so the difference was a lot less once you account for those two changes. Yeah, and one thing I've heard, uh, so I, I'm sure you were talking more kind of, I'm just guessing, I'm you were talking more type basic goods pretty basic yeah one thing i've heard when you start getting into the increasingly uh complex manufacturing like a you have to go train a lot of the workers over there and b after you train them like the potential for theft in terms of either loss of ip or those workers just taking and being like hey these guys just invested fifty thousand dollars training me to get me uh specialized manufacturing why don't you guys hire me and then you don't have to pay that uh we can split we kind of split that difference uh i've heard that's very high as well so don't mean to hate on China too much, but it's just interesting to things how see how things are developing there. Uh, anything anything here before we wrap up, Chris? No, nothing to add. I guess that's the second time we've talked about Nintendo, isn't it? We had them earlier on vis a vis Pokemon. I, I think Nintendo is fantastic. They're one of I don't really like video games that much, but the Nintendo like the Mario parties and the Mario Karts, I find them the most board game esque and yeah. kind of the most. It's fun both casually and in competition. I find it really strikes the right note. So I think they're fantastic. We will talk about them again at some point in the near future. But that is all the time we have for today. Uh, before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder. If you like this podcast, the best way to get more of them is to recommend us to a friend and get them to start listening. Uh, Chris, no disclosures for us, I don't believe. Okay, perfect. We'll talk to you guys uh, later this week.